Hi, everyone. Um, my name is Debbie Bellingham, and my husband Jack and I were members of, um, well, we weren't actually members, but we were participants, eager, excited, glad to be participants at CBC for two years when we moved here from San Francisco, California. And then we bought a house up in Milton, which is about an hour north of here. And um, so we have a little church that we go to up there. And Jack can't be with us today because he teaches Sunday school at the little church and he loves doing it. And so even though he would want to be with you all here today, he's got an obligation that his heart has committed to. And I support that. So yay, Jack. Sometimes there's more kids in the Sunday school than there are adults in the worshiping service. So it is kind of fun. Yeah. Um, so anyway, I think I'll just begin by telling you a little bit about myself. I know a lot of you, which is really a sweet um, place to revisit, but some I don't know. And that also is a very sweet thing because that's telling me that the spirit is active through CBC and the spirit is drawing people who want to know Christ in a more complete and full way and let their lives be transformed by the love of God to this place. And so that brings my heart great joy and makes me very happy. So thank you for letting me see that evidenced in your midst today. So thank you for that. Um, Let's see this. Um, you can pray for me as I'm standing here because I, um, I need that. <laughs> I always like to rely on the spirit. And when I feel as if the spirits, um, I'm not paying attention, I, I like pause and I look out and I know if you guys are praying for me, I can just entrust my words and my heart to God's perfect love and all will be well. So. If you can pray for me while we're going through our service, can I just see your hand so I know that I'm not alone? <laughs> thank you, thank you, thank you, everybody. Okay, so first of all, before I actually begin the sermon, I thought we'd just start with a moment of quiet. Never hurts to start with a moment of quiet. We've sung these wonderful songs that remind us of who we are and who God is and how we are to live out God's love in our own life and out through the world. So I think I love that verse in um, I, excuse me, Psalm 46, where it just says, be still and know that I am God. Amen. So let's just take a still moment and place ourselves and our hearts in the presence of the God who knows us and loves us and wants to remind us that we are held in God's loving care. So Lord, we are still for this moment. Quiet our hearts. Let us know in our mind, in our heart, in our body, that you are God. Amen. So I first of all have an apology I have to make. And um, I love how organized you all are, and you want my sermon title and my key biblical truth well, well in advance of my actually preparing to tell you the truth. And so I, thought, I came up with this key biblical truth that says, I don't know what it said, something like, we give away what we've been given, which is a wonderful biblical truth. You know, God gives us these spiritual gifts, not for our own benefit necessarily, but to bless one another, to build the body of Christ to reach out to unite the body of Christ. And so we don't, it's, they're not like birthday presents. You know what, you go to buy somebody a birthday present and you pick out something you think they're really gonna like so that they can cherish it and you know, 
hold it and you give it to them because you want them to know who they are to you, etc, cetera, etc. Cetera. But spiritual gifts are different in that they're given to people not to be kept and not to, to um, honor the person, but rather to be given away so that we can honor the Trinity. And so that's, um, that's a wonderful key biblical concept. <laughs> you know, I think we all need to remember, God, you have given each of us something that everybody else in the community needs. So let, us, let me not be selfish with it. Let me give it away generously and not withhold, be withholding and all the while giving you glory so that we all are in a position where we're recognizing that you, your great love reaches us and reaches through us. So that's not a bad biblical truth. But as I was preparing this weekend, I especially apologize to Jillian and um, Peter who put the songs together, but it works anyway. It all works out. I think the key biblical truth that I want to um, emphasize today is that we need to model our discerning of spirits after Jesus's model. So uh, I'm going to unpack that a little bit, but um, so you want to make a note in your bulletin, <laughs> mark out the old one and put it in the new one that we need to model our spiritual discernment after Jesus's spiritual discernment. So we're going to, our scripture as it has been read earlier is 1 Corinthians 12, verses 1 through 14. And I'm going, my, my style is to just kind of unpack it a little by little, you know, take a phrase and kind of explore that phrase and then hopefully tie them all together as we move forward. But the first thing I noticed when I was um, preparing for this sermon is that Paul I'm really, I think he's really showing his pastoral heart in this, in, this, in this chapter. I know in the past, like last week I listened to your sermon, Dick, he was kind of harsh. <laughs> you know, he goes, you guys are, you know, you need to do it right. And when you don't do it right, things go wrong. And so that's pastoral too, but that's um, corrective, if you will. And in this chapter, I think Paul's heart is saying, let me help you know how to do it. He's being more um, instructive helping people understand the ways in which they should use and, and, and the purpose of the spiritual gift. So he's very um, instructive and pastoral. So he starts out by saying, um, now concerning spiritual gifts, brothers and sisters, I do not want you to be uninformed. And in some um, versions, it says, I don't want you to be ignorant about spiritual gifts. So, um, when he, when he says he doesn't want us to be uninformed, basically saying he wants us to be informed, I think. He wants us to understand them with our mind and, and to appreciate the use of them and to kind of have an understanding of how we can use them in our lives to bless other people. Um, he, he wants to reaffirm probably what ha they've already been taught once, and now he's teaching them again, which I love that about Paul. He doesn't, he's not shy about saying things over and over again if it's something that's really important. Like when he says, rejoice. Oh, yeah, I tell you again, rejoice. <laughs> so he's, he's not shy about repeating himself. So I should keep that in mind and that, give myself grace about that. But so anyway, he wants us to be informed about spiritual gifts. And then he says, when you were pagans, you were enticed and led astray to idols that couldn't speak. And I liked reading those words because the word enticed means... Um, you were attracted to something that promised you something that you think you needed or wanted. So 
Joe Blow, Mr. Corinthian or Mrs. Corinthians living their life and suddenly they go, hmm, I haven't had any babies yet. I better go pray to the goddess of fertility to make sure I get some babies going on. So the, they sought after these idols that promised something that they wanted in their life. But the idols, it says, they were empty. They were silent. They couldn't speak. They couldn't be counted on to satisfy the needs of the people who were seeking satisfaction from these idols. And the word, he says, you were enticed by them and led astray. And this is really interesting, I think, that the Greek word, I'm not a Greek scholar, but I do have a Greek dictionary that I look up words in all the time. But the word led astray means to, um, let's see, to, the, they use the same verb, led, when they talked about leading a prisoner to trial or to leading a, 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 someone to prison or punishment. So it's interesting Paul chose that word. He goes, you are interested in having your needs satisfied, which is not a bad thing. You know, we all have needs and we all have longings that we are hoping can, can be realized in our lives. So we have this, and something promises that to us. It says, oh yeah, come over here and I'll make sure you get that in your pocketbook or in your family or, you know, your status or whatever. But we go to them and we find that, as we're moving toward them, what, what is actually happening is we are being led to prison, led to death, because those things cannot give us the life our, our, our heart and our nature and our being was created to experience. So Paul doesn't want that for the people he's writing to, and he doesn't want that for you and me. He doesn't want us to seek things that promise happiness or satisfaction, but in fact, leave us empty and closer to the picture of dying than picture of living. So Paul doesn't want them to be uninformed, and we also need to be informed about that. Um, and so I think he's also trying to remind us that we need to be mindful about the things that are offered to us, whether they're spiritual gifts. Oh, and the other thing, I, I'm going back a second. In this scripture, Paul, generally speaking, when Paul refers to spiritual gifts, he uses the word charismata. But in this first line where he says, now concerning spiritual gifts, he uses a different word. He uses the word, and I'm going to screw up the, the pronunciation, but it's um, pneumotychus, pneumotychus in, in Greek, like spirit and then a form of, of the spirit. And generally when this word is used, it's not just talking in particular about a gift, it's talking about anything related to the spiritual life. It could be a person, it could be a thought, a concept. So Paul wants us to be knowledgeable about all things that come to us, offering a spiritual insight or spiritual gifts or spiritual, um, a blessing of some kind. He wants us to use our mind to, to let them come toward us and to understand them as well as pay attention to our guts, our passions, and our desires, and to use all that to decide whether or not this gift or this offering that's coming toward me will be useful and meaningful and godly in my own personal life and experience. So, um, and he goes on to say, um, I want you to know, I want you to understand no one speaking by the Spirit says, Jesus be cursed. And no one can say Jesus is Lord except by the Holy Spirit. And I think when Paul is giving us 
these two criterion. He's giving us a filter through which we can de determine whether things that are coming at us, gifts that other people claim to have, words of knowledge or information, we can use this filter to judge whether or not these are godly um, people, godly gifts, godly references that intend God's goodness to happen in our lives. So the, in the first one, he says, you can't say Jesus is cursed and be born of the spirit or be useful of the spirit. And um, when that word, Jesus is cursed, I had to look this word up. I looked it up in the Greek and I didn't even know the word in English. So I'm gonna tell you what it is and tell you what, I, what it said in the dictionary. Um, it's the word execrate. No one can say Jesus is cursed because when you do what you're saying, you're ex execrating Jesus. And what that word means is to feel or express great loathing toward the object or to declare as evil or detestable the object. So no one can say Jesus is, no one can say, um, no one says Jesus is detestable or has no value or he, um, he ha they have no respect for Jesus and be of the spirit. Where on, on the other hand, when you say Jesus is Lord in the spirit, you're elevating Jesus, you're lifting up who God is and you're bringing glory to Jesus. So what I understand from this filter that Paul gives us is that we need to be discerning what message is coming to us, whether it's through the spiritual gifts that we experience in our community, through uh, messages that we receive from one another or on you know, a video that we watch or listen to or a book we read. And I think what I would say is that we need to um, ask ourselves, is what's coming toward me, does it lift up Jesus? Does it honor Jesus? Does it move me to the things in life that Jesus wants for me? More wholeness, more union with Christ, more understanding of myself and of my place in the world. Or does it tend to minimize the divinity of Christ and push, push aside the um, power of the resurrection and the cross? There's lots of good things out there in the world. You know, people offer, you know, oh, I read this great book, you should read it. And it might be a great book. But does it kind of elevate Jesus and does it move me into a place of more completeness and wholeness? We need to ask those kind of questions. We need to be discerning. And I think the best way to uh, learn such discernment is to look at Jesus, to see what Jesus did and how he discerned when he was offered or tempted or enticed. So I'd like for us just to briefly um, look at Matthew chapter 4. starting with verse one. So before we look at Jesus, I just wanna make note that dis the discernment process is about two things. It's about attention or attentiveness and about discrimination. So the first thing, if we're kind of discerning whether this spirit that is the spirit of God brings God glory, is we look at, um, we notice our, I think we notice our internal experience. Okay, what's going on in me? What, what am I looking for? What am I longing for? Something comes towards me and says, I can do that for you. I can give you peace. I can give you a sense of, of purpose 
okay, that's what, I want peace, I want a purpose. Okay, so that's, so we pay attention to ourselves. And then all these things that come toward us that offer us peace or purposefulness, we need to be discriminate about which ones we actually listen to and which ones we actually engage in. Because we want to not be like the pagans and led away to death in prison. We want to be like the um, spiritual ones who are led to life and wholeness. So, um, we, uh, so we need to discern God's spirit versus the other spirits. And the other spirits are threefold, I think. There's worldly spirits, which, you know, the culture, the norm, things that our, you know, our society abides by which are not necessarily bad, but um, they're not necessarily aligned with God's purposes either. So we need to figure out if they're worldly spirits, if they're the fleshly spirits, which is defined as um, addictive demands of our bodies or our ego that keeps us self-absorbed self and it's all about us. So things can say, oh, I can make you happy if you um, buy this new car and oh, we got a new car and that oops our ego a little bit. So that's probably a, a fleshly desire, a fleshly um, spirit that's wooing us to, to that type of um, life choice. And then there's the evil one, the evil spirit, who um, acts actively force, who works active force against good and its goal is to destroy, enslave rather than enliven and free. So there's four spirits operating out there, the spiritual godly spirit, the worldly spirit, the fleshly spirit, and the evil spirit. And they can all look good when they're coming toward us. In fact, they all will look good because they're trying to entice us. They're trying to get us to buy what they're trying to sell. So it takes paying attention to ourselves, being attentive to our own process, and then also discriminating which is which. And Jesus, I think, left us a model how to do that. So in Matthew 4, we, we bump into Jesus as he um, just finished being baptized. And it says, in, uh, then Jesus was led up by the spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. The tempter came and said to him, if you are the son of God, command these stones to become loaves of bread. But he answered, it is written. One does not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. I think in that uh, enticement, if you will, or that temptation, um, the evil one was tempting Jesus to take care of himself, to provide for himself. That's one of the enticements that the worldly or the um, ego spirits will pull, pull at our hearts toward. Uh-oh, you better make sure that you got all you need. You know, uh-oh, I hear COVID's coming. We better make a run on the toilet paper. You know, make sure we got enough. You know, so there's all this kind of, um, it's not a bad thing to, you know, to look at or to do or to consider, but does it bring life to me into the world? Am I being selfish? Am I being wise? You know, it takes a lot of very fine discerning to figure out if it's God's calling you or God's gifting or not. So, um and the second temptation that the evil one came with Jesus is, um, then the devil took him to a holy city and placed him on the pinnacle of the temple, saying to him, if you are the son of God, throw yourself down, for it is written, he will command the angels concerning you, 
and on their hands they will bear you up so that you will not dash your foot against a stone. So this, I think the second form enticements come to us that we need to discern whether it's from God's heart or from the, one of the other forces, um, movements is, is it up to me to keep myself safe? Do I need to, um, the, the evil one says, oh, dash yourself down, test God. God's not going to let anything happen to you. So we live in such a way to try to keep ourselves um, safe, which is not our job. You know, we have to be wise, of course, and we're not going to go walking through downtown. Um, I don't know what town is dangerous around here, but in our neighborhood, it's uh, Poughkeepsie. We're not going to be walking through downtown Poughkeepsie late at night because that's, that's not smart. But we do have to recognize that it's jobs, God's job to keep us safe. And the enemy will try to tempt us and entice us to think it's up to us. And when that happens, that is not of God. That is of the enemy or of our own making. And then thirdly, the devil says, he took him to a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their, and their splendor. And he said to him, all these I will give you if you will fall down and worship me. And Jesus said to him, away with you, Satan, for it is written, worship the Lord your God and serve him only. And I think in this enticement that we have to figure out um, whether it comes from God or not is when we feel the uh, pull to promote ourselves, to take care of our reputation to make sure we're well thought of and that respected. Well, a lot of things will offer us that in the world. A lot of worldly idols will offer that, but there's no humility in that. There's no life in that. So we just need to continue to discern if it's God's spirit, because if, if it is, like if you're offered a job and it's a big promotion and you're going, oh, that sounds good. And your ego goes, man, wouldn't that be good? If everybody knew I was the vice president of such and such or whatever it may be, and it may be a good thing to do, and God may be calling you into that, but you may need. But, but what you must do is discriminate where your ego is involved in that. Is it about you? Is it going to elevate you, or is it going to put you in a place where you can elevate God and the Holy Spirit and use the blessing that you've been given to bless the world? So it's a very fine line discriminating between what might be of spiritual pneumotikas coming toward us or, or the enemy disguising and leading us astray by offering us these various spiritual fixes, if you will. Um, oh, the other thing I noticed when I was preparing this is that I find it very interesting in the Gospels that Jesus, when he is led into the wilderness of the desert by the Spirit, goes directly there from his baptism. So that suggests to me, and oh, the thing I love about Jesus's baptism is that God's voice spoke. And God's voice said, this is my son in whom I am well pleased. And I love it that Jesus hadn't done a thing yet. <laughs> you know, he'd, he'd stepped into the Jordan River. He hadn't performed any miracles or healed anybody or had any great sermons. All he did was step into the Jordan River and God gave him his sense of identity and purpose. And so I think in order for us to better be better equipped to discern what it is, what, what, 
where these forces or where these enticements might be coming from is to not do our best to resist them if we think they're evil, but rather ask them, ask of ourselves, do these, if I say yes to this, or if I receive this gift from this person, will it cause my identity as God's chosen child to be informed and reinforced? Will it, will it build up my sense of belovedness? Will it help me understand God loves the world without the world having to do anything to earn it? Does, will it help me know that I am well-pleasing to God? Will I, does it increase my sense of God's favor over me? Does it move me toward wholeness and who God created me to be? And if that's the case, then it's likely it's an okay thing. But of course, you still need to have a community to help you figure that out. But um, let's see where I am. But having said that, like I said, that's kind of the point I really wanted to make, that we need to discriminate and test the spirits and pr make sure that, as, as far as we're able, make sure they're moving us toward God's goodness and God's light and God's hope for us instead of just satisfying it. Something in us that might last a day, but not eternity. So then finally, Paul and me finally get to the spiritual gifts in the next verse, where he says, Now, there are varieties of gifts, but the same spirit, varieties of services, but the same Lord, and there are varieties of, of activities, but it is the same God who activates all of them and everyone. So you hear this repetitive phrase there's a variety of gifts or services or ministries but it's the same god so we're all going to have different spiritual um gifts so to speak and but it was the, it's the one god who gives the gifts so we can't really take much boasting in that because we didn't have much to say about which gifts we got you know it was up to the up to the spirit so and, and the other thing about that it helps it, i think it helps us recognize to honor each other's gifts because there are a variety of them and we're going to end up needing them all or else they wouldn't have been given to us. So, um, oh, we've been given this, these gifts, as I've already said, for the common good for the body of Christ. And what spiritual gifts are not are natural talents. Um, you know, although natural talents can be means of expressing your spiritual gift, or, you know, like if you are a musician. You can use your music playing to express your spiritual gift of teaching or of encouraging, you know, so your, your skill is used by the spirit to uh, minister the gift. Um, they are not the fruit of the spirit because all of us have the fruit of the spirit and the fruit of the spirit is not something that is uh, miraculously provided. It's fruit is grown, fruit is produced within us. So. All the fruit of the spirit are ours to receive if we attend to um, our garden, so to speak. And the sp spiritual gifts are not the roles that we play in church or in the world. You know, you could be a Sunday school teacher. Maybe that's because nobody else wants to be a Sunday school teacher, like at our little church at home. <laughs> or you have the gift of teaching, or you have the gift of service. And so you know, the roles you play do not necessarily identify what your spiritual gift is. But we do know that they are given for the common good. And then Paul goes on to list nine spiritual gifts. 
and they're I think they're pretty straightforward in terms of their function. Um, they are uh, wisdom, knowledge, faith, healing, miracles, prophecy, discernment of spirits, tongues, and interpretation of tongues. As I understand it, one of the problems the Corinthians were having with the subject of spiritual gifts is that some of them spoke in tongues and other people didn't. And the people who spoke in tongues suggested that they were more spiritual or more lofty than the ones who didn't. And therefore, the ones who didn't needed to get in line or, you know, they were less than. Kind of like what you preached last week, Dick, about the people who had the status in the nice house. They were in some way better than the ones who didn't. And that doesn't work in Christ's kingdom, as you taught us last week. All are equal. All the gifts are needful and equal, and they're all given by the, by the Spirit of God, and they are given as God chooses. So we can't take a lot of credit for any gift God gives me, gives you. All we can do is gratefully receive it and then practice it as is, as is called upon, as it is called upon. And I think there's probably a um, significance in the order in which Paul listed the spiritual gifts. I think the Holy Spirit probably is pretty smart about structuring sentences and, and all, because he starts with wisdom. And then the next one is knowledge. And I think wisdom and knowledge, and maybe even the next one, which is faith, are kind of like, you know, you go to a wedding and they give you a party gift. You know, everybody gets it. You know, you get a little package with little almond candies in it and a little picture of the bride and groom or whatever their gifts to you. I think we all can access the spiritual gifts of wisdom and knowledge. Because basically what wisdom is, an intimate understanding of God's word and God's commands resulting in holy and upright living. I think God would want all of us to have that gift. And so he gives it to all of us like a party favor. You know, we can take it or we, we can leave it. And then knowledge is closely related to wisdom. It's when you apply biblical truths in everyday life in specific situations. I think both of those gifts are gifts God would want all of his people to have access to or be in close relationship with someone who has that gift and can help you know how to live out your life. And the other thing I appreciate about these two gifts is that both would require, I think, or not require because God can overrule, but it, it suggests that we have a knowledge of God's word and a knowledge of God's commands and an intimate understanding of the ways of God in order for that gift to really be um, made bigger or you know, used well. Like, um, I know, um, like <clears throat> some people golf, some people play tennis. And if you're good at it and you practice at it, you're going to be better at playing tennis or playing golf, where I could go out there and I could still swing the club and hit the ball. I'm still playing golf, but it won't be as effective. So I think it falls on us to do what we can on our part to study God's word, to pray and get to know God, so that when this gift is needed in the body, we will be prepared to offer wisdom about how to live a godly and upright life and in a very specific situation what you might think of doing in that specific situation because God has helped you understand how to act in that situation. So those two, I think, are big 
party favors. Ask God for those. Um, and then he mentions faith, which is uh, ex extracurricular, oh no, excuse me, extraordinary confidence in God and the will and purpose, it, uh, to know the will and purpose of God and to live it boldly. I know a few people who seem to have the gift of faith. It's like, I think it looks dark and they're going, yeah, but God's going to make a way. And some people say that and they sound like they're repeating a cliche, you know, like, oh yeah, but there are some people who believe it and who, like you said, somebody said earlier, something is contagious. Stress is contagious. Somebody said that. I can't remember who I, forgive me. Um, faith is contagious. If I believe it with great confidence and you know me and you trust me and you know I don't do things lightly and if I say it's going to be, all is going to be well, we go, well, I'll borrow her faith. <laughs> you know, she's, she's got it. I'm going to walk in her draft for a while because God has given her this gift and assured her that it's going to be well. So um, faith is, I think faith is a one, another one of those that we can all access, but that some people have a real kind of super um, bright star of faith. And then there's healing and miracles. Those are two things that interrupt the natural course of nature where God intervenes and changes what is to what will be or what can be. And I, I, can't, I don't know how to say much about those two, um, those two gifts. I think they're given in particular to bring an astonishment to the world, to get them to notice, oh my gosh, what, how, how can you explain this person who was sick and now they're well and all the doctors had written them off? And you say, well, I prayed for that person and I asked God to heal them and God intervened. And that person's going to have to go, hmm, I'm going to have to think about that. You know, so they, they, they expand God's power and they increase the awe of God. So if God has given you the gift of healing or the gift of miracles, bless you. You are needed. Especially like in that um, video Erlinda showed us where there's a lot of people who have never even heard of Christ if suddenly some miraculous thing happens in their community and you say, oh, well, this is why that happened, because I prayed and God answered it. They go, oh, I'm going to have to think about that. You know, so there, there's reasons for these wonderful gifts. And then prophecy is the next one he lists, um, which is basically to receive and sorry, to receive and communicate a message from God through divine divinely appointed words. In the Old Testament, there were prophets that were very particularly appointed prophets who um, usually were not liked by the rest of the world because they heard God's word and they communicated it and it was usually straightened up, you know. Sometimes it was, oh, you're my blessed child and I love you a lot. But, um, but either way, what it is, it's taking the words from God's heart and making it public. And I think there's a lot of common, I mean, current prophets in our midst people whose spirit kind of knows whether or not a person is in line with God's goodwill or not, and speaks the truth, even if it's not popular. And um, so I think we could use more prophets, but we also need to pray for the people who God gifts with the gift of prophecy, because they might not be very well received, because they go against the norm. They push up against the status quo. So that person needs a lot of convincing that God is speaking to them, and we need to, like when we interact with someone like that and they challenge us in some way 
again, that discernment that I spoke of earlier, we pull back and we say, if this, are true, if this was true, if this is what God is saying, how will it impact my life? Will it make me more holy? Will it make me more one with the spirit of God? Will it kind of help eliminate some of the things that might hinder the life God has in me? So we need to just be wise about that, which is kind of related to the next one where discernment of spirits, where we kind of take it in, but we just don't take it blindly. We take it in and we go, okay, is this from God or is it not from God? They're both um, important and needful in the body of Christ. And then the last two Paul mentions are tongues and interpretation of tongues. And tongues is basically um, various kinds of tongues unknown to the person who's speaking them. And the interpretation of tongues is um, someone who can understand what that person is saying and then makes it, translates it so that everybody else can understand what that person is saying. And I think it's no mistake that Paul listed these two last. If the church had been kind of fighting about how elevated it was to speak in tongues, Paul's saying, yeah, it's a gift and it's needful, but it's not the cream of the crop. It's one of many. It's really important for you to get the wisdom and the knowledge and the faith. And this is, yes, this is useful in particular situations. So I um, wanted to just conclude with my story, a little bit about my story. <coughs> I can find it. So um, many, well, some of you know that I'm currently being treated for cancer. And it started, um, well, I had breast cancer 20 years ago. That was taken care of. But in 2015, I was diagnosed with uterine cancer. So they did a surgery and they removed all my female parts, and I went up happily on my way, thinking it was all done, and then in 2018, um, it came back, and I had uh, tumors in my pelvic area, so they had gave me radiation to get rid of the, the tumors, and sent me on my way saying, oh, yay, looks good, looks good, I'm going, yay, yay, and we all were going, yay, yay, right, <laughs> and um, then two years later, it came back again. And um, this time it had shown up in my pelvis again and also metastasized to my lungs. So um, that was in 2019. So since 2019, my husband and I have been actively pursuing treatment for um, the remedy, the healing of this cancer. And the first time we, I saw my current doctor, he said, uh, well, you know, it's terminal. I go, well, nobody wants to hear that word when you're sitting in your doctor's office. Next time we met, he called it, it's a, like a chronic disease. You know, you manage it. I have a patient who's lived for 15 years with this very same diagnosis. You know, it's not a death sentence per se. It's manageable. So we've been managing it since uh, 2019. And I have such a wonderful community who, um, when they heard of my diagnosis and they heard of, you know, how it's continuing to go on, I have gotten so many wonderful and well-intended suggestions about what to do, you know, how to heal it, how to cure it, Take, go on this diet, eliminate this from your system, pray this way, have this particular person pray for you, um, read this book, have, have you tried, heard of this medical breakthrough? 
and they're all good. They're all good in, in suggestions, and I take them as they are. People love me. People care about me. People want to make sure I have all the information I need to make wise choices, to be as moving toward health and wholeness as I possibly can. So I'm grateful, so grateful for all the ways people have loved me in that very particular way. But what I've had to do is to take all this enticement, if you will, coming toward me and filter it through my own lens of what I feel God is wanting for me at this stage in my life. The ways in which God is trying to move me into more life, more union with Christ, more perfection, if you will, in body, soul, and spirit, and mind. And some of the advices, I've read them all, you know, I've looked at the YouTube videos of all of them, you know, so I don't neg neglect any of those things. But where I am right now, and this may sound really, I hope it doesn't sound Pollyanna-ish, but I don't really, I mean, I don't want to die. I don't want to be sick. But if I do, it's okay with me. I just want in the process for God to be glorified and for me to be grown more and more into the image of what Christ had in mind when when he died for me and what his spirit has put inside me to live. I told our school, I do this school of grace class uh, twice a month. And I told them yesterday that I feel what God, what God has called me to at this season in my life is to be a window, a window through which people can see God and God's activity and God's character and God's awesomeness and God's power. And then for people then for God to look through the window that is my life and see people that are surround my life that God can love through me. So like this kind of mutuality, this give and take. So everything that comes toward me as a suggestion, I'm saying, okay, I have to ask, okay, is this going to help me accomplish that? Is this going to help if God's hand do something in my life that makes me more transparent like a window is, more honest, more vulnerable, more truth-telling? And some things are yes, you know, eliminate sugar. Sure, you know, that can't hurt, you know, and it might lose a pound or two. And, um, and it doesn't take away from, you know, my dependence on God, but I can't let make those suggestions idols. You know, I cannot make my doctor's suggestions an idol. My doctor is a tool in God's hands. And this whole process is forming me and and shaping me, I trust, I hope, I pray, more and more into um, a person into, through which you can see the Spirit of God. And you can trust that God is good. And that because I'm one of those people, maybe right now I have the gift of faith. I'm telling you, it's okay. It's good. <laughs> you know? And you may not believe it, but trust me. Because right now I feel like God is good all the time. And God is always loving all the time. And God is constantly coming at me with love, with healing. And I can trust that. So all that to say, um, God gives us gifts, not for ourselves, but for the sake of the community and the world. 
God wants us to be wise in what we chase after in terms of spiritual promises, because some are empty and just will keep us moving more further down the uh, escalator toward death. And some will give us pieces of God's heart for our lives. So I conclude with that. And 